Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. And we are in the middle of a series of messages because we have embarked on a journey as a church, and it's called the Acts 2 journey. The reason it's called the Acts 2 journey is because it's taken strictly right out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The early church had a way that they did church. And I'll be very honest with you, it worked well for them, amen? Because in just a few years, they literally reached the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there are some things that they uh, showed us in Acts chapter 2 about how they did church that I believe is where we need to be going as a body of Christ. And so we have embarked on this journey, this Acts 2 journey, to bring this church into conformity with the components that they used to use so that we can reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here it is, Acts chapter 2, and let's skip all the way over to verse number 42. It says, every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Now, we're following the Acts 2 model. And the Acts 2 model basically consists of five different components, five things that we see the early church doing. Number one, we've already covered this, is they connected their, excuse me, we haven't covered this, but this is number one. They connected their lives together. They worshiped together. Number two, they served. Number three, they, they, they grew spiritually together. And lastly, they did evangelism. They, they went out and reached the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about these components. We got one this week and next week will be our last one of the five. But just to give you a reminder of the first three that we've done, we started with this first component called worship. And we learned that worship wasn't just what we do in the sanctuary every Sunday morning for a few minutes. Worship is the way we live our lives. Oh, Lord, let my life be praise to you. My life be a worship to you all day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A lifestyle of worship. Week two was go. That means evangelism. And we learned about relational evangelism. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world today that we're going to have to develop a relationship with people before we're going to win anybody to Jesus Christ. I'm just, I'm just saying, we've got to develop a relationship. And so we, we learned about, about uh, relational evangelism. We learned about being outward focused because there's too many churches today that are so inward focused. They're all about themselves. We're going to raise up a church here that's all about the folks that are outside these four walls. Because I want to tell you something. They need Jesus more than I need Jesus. Amen? I already got him. I already got him. So we've got to reach out to those that are outside the walls. Week number three, which was last week, we learned about grow. And grow basically means this. We need to be spirit-empowered disciples. And in order to do that, we've got to learn how to do it. We need the life of the Spirit of God inside of us. And, and for so long, we've taught people what to do. 
and then we've told them that they need to go do it, but we've left out this one essential ingredient that I think is absolutely imperative, and that is we have not taught people how to experience the presence and the power of Almighty God. And we got too many people that are just knowing it and doing it, and that's okay. But folks, I got to tell you something. It's so much easier to do something for Jesus whenever you are in love with Jesus. Yeah. I'm in love with my wife. So, man, I serve my wife. It's easy for me. Every once in a while, she gets frustrated and she'll tell me, she says, man, you know, I hate for you to have to do this for me. But I'm going to tell you something. Not pat myself on the back or anything like that. But I love to serve my wife. And I will tell you why. Because I love my wife. Amen? I love my wife. You know, the best people to serve in nursing home situations and rehabilitation centers are not people that just need a job, but people that will go in and love those patients. Amen. Okay. Component number four is serve. That's where we're starting today. Component number four is serve. This is what I believe myself and the leadership team of this church has really committed to, and that is to build a strong healthy church by mobilizing a congregation to serve gladly and effectively. That's it. We want, we want this church to serve gladly and effectively. This is the bottom line, folks. I'm here to confess my weaknesses. Everybody write this one down because this is important. I cannot do everything. I know that just shatters some of y'all that thought perhaps underneath this shirt was a bright red S or blue S or something. I don't remember what Superman's got on him, but I ain't got one. I just cannot do everything. I just can't do it. And so this is what we got to have y'all understand. First of all, you are ministers. And if you look up here and you go, oh, no, you're the minister. Well, I am a minister. I've got a card in my wallet that tells me I'm a card-carrying member of the Assemblies of God. I'm part of the clergy. But we have to understand this. Before I ever had that card in my wallet, I was a minister. You are ministers. God has called us all to be ministers. He's called some of us to be pastors and teachers and evangelists. Are y'all there? And that's part of the calling that's on my life. But every one of us are called to be ministers. We all ought to be ministering to one another. One of my frustrations whenever I first went to Montana, served up there for about seven years in a pastorate in a little bitty community right in the center of Montana, was that the clergy that I was following had basically taught the congregation this. Unless they were in the room, real ministry could not take place. I mean, the clergy actually taught the folks of this church, unless a pastor was in the room, real ministry couldn't take place. So in other words, in hospital rooms, they'd just stand around waiting for the pastor to come to pray for somebody. And I came in, I said, do y'all pray for him? Well, why not? Well, because you got to be here. I said, I don't got to be here. Y'all can pray. Y'all have the same communication line as I have to heaven. Amen? And so my frustration was that they, 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 they counted on me to be the minister of this congregation. In other words, they hired me to do all the ministry. And for seven years, I fought against that. 
because it had been ingrained in them for a lot longer than seven years. I fought against that. And I said, no, you're the ministers. And guess what? Whenever I left, we actually left a church full of a whole bunch of ministers. Amen. And it's good. But this morning, I want to convince you that you are ministers. You know, I got called into the ministry a long time ago, but I got called into the ministry to be a, a pastor. But you got called in the ministry the day, the day that you were born again, you got called into ministry. So you are ministers, you are called, and this is what you all got to know, man. This is what makes this whole process good. Whenever you start thinking about this, I'm a minister. You guys can go places and do things and have relationship with people that I could never, ever have. You can go, you can go all kinds of different, different places and, and you can do things that I could never do. I can't do it all. Each of you in this room has a different skill set. You have different gifts. You have different abilities. And that's why God has created you so uniquely. I mean, think about this for a minute. I mean, is there a job out there that you can look at that you can say, man, I could never do that. But yet there's people that are doing that job that love it. Y'all ready for the confession? I don't think I could ever be a mortician. Just saying. I'm telling you, dead bodies creep me out. But there are people in this room that they go, oh, I would love to work with dead bodies. And I'm just saying, just don't touch me after you do that. Y'all understand? I mean, there are people, because I work with the funeral homes here in town, they, they feel like that it's their calling. To work with death and work with burial and work with the families that are... And, and listen, man, they take it as a ministry. And I'm, I'm just thankful they do. Hallelujah. Y'all there? You see, we all have different skill sets. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. That's why we have something that Jesus Christ tells us is a body. The body of Christ. Not all of us are toes. Thank God. Amen. Not all of us are fingers. I mean, just think about it. What if you had 20 toes instead of 10 toes and, and, and 10 fingers? I'm telling you, it'd be hard for you to eat and cut your, your food up with toes on the end of your fingers. We have to have all of these specific parts of the body, these different skill sets, these different gifts, these different abilities. And so one of the things that we are, we are striving for and moving forward to is to bring people in the body of Christ from a place of being a consumer because we got a lot of consumers. We have people that just say, hey, I'm just going to go to church, don't want to do anything else, and that's okay. But there has to come a time where you go from being a consumer to being a contributor. Amen? And so my job is that I don't want anybody in the bleachers at the football game. I want them all out on the field playing. Amen? And listen, if you're thinking, well, then there wouldn't be anybody to cheer us on. I want to tell you, the Bible tells us that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I want to tell you, Moses up there saying, go, man, go. Well, I didn't shake too many of y'all up. That almost was like Hong Young, wasn't it? I got an email from him, and he writes an email exactly like he speaks. And for those of you that missed our brother missionary that came a few months ago, man, he was he was a fire plug. Now I'm just, 
Did I ring a bell? <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Just, uh... We want to move people from being a consumer to contributor. And it's my goal to have every one of the folks that call Trinity Church home involved in some form of service. That's my heartbeat. I want everybody doing something. So we're in this process of developing a team ministry team ministry. So we're going to have all kinds of teams doing all kinds of things that need to be done. we got a frontline team, and that frontline team is going to be greeters and ushers and parking lot attendants. going to be people that help uh, brand new visitors get their kids into children's ministry. Frontline team are going to be uh, uh, doing incredible things in these next few weeks and months to come. We have a security team. we got guys and gals that have volunteered to be a part of a security team. How many of you all know that we live in a day and age where we really need somebody watching over us? Amen. And so we've got folks that are monitoring cameras. We've got folks that are patrolling the grounds and making sure that our kids are safe, making sure that we can worship and be safe where we are here. We got a we got a next generation team, and our next generation team is is responsible for educating and bringing up that next generation that's behind us, Amen. Because one of these days, if the Lord ting, uh, if the Lord lingers, I'm going to be right here in this congregation as a layperson sitting in a seat, pastor emeritus, maybe I don't know, and I'm going to have somebody that perhaps came up through youth group being the pastor of this church, and so I'm just going to tell you something. I want to do a good job with them. We have a fellowship team that's involved in all the various fellowship opportunities that are going to be brought to this church. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. We are doing a pretty bad job right now connecting our lives together. Very, I'm serious. We, we come and we eat a meal together and we call that fellowship. But I'll be honest with you, it's not fellowship. It's a eat, it's just eating. We just come and eat. Man, whenever Ella brings those tamales, I'm going to tell you something. I don't really want a fellowship. I just want to eat. But we got to do a better job of connecting our lives. And so we're going to have a fellowship team. We've got a small group team, which that's going to be real relevant here in just a few days. Our senior care team, we've got a lot of seniors in this, in this congregation that sometimes just need a little extra help. And, I, you know, our seniors, are they're, they're proud people. They've been independent people. And sometimes it's hard for them to ask help. But we're going to knock on their doors and we're going to say, listen, how can we assist you? Because we got a lot of folks that can be a lot of help to a lot of people. We've got a worship team. You've seen part of what's going on here this morning. We've got a care team. And those care, the care team is basically this. Folks, sometimes in our lives we have sickness. We have hospitalizations. We have brand new babies being born. We've got all kinds of things that would launch our care team into motion. They're going to cook meals. They're going to be blessings to those individuals. I've been on the receiving side of this. There's been times whenever my wife and I both have been down and people are knocking on my door bringing me, bringing me soup from Monte Albans. Yeah, that was good soup. What's the name of it now? Las Baracas or whatever. But it was Monte Albans back then. I've had people knocking on my door bringing food and, and bringing blessing and praying. It's a care team. Amen. Our outreach team, how many of y'all know there's folks out there that need Jesus? we got a good news band ministry, picks up kids, brings them to church every Wednesday, every Sunday. We're so thankful for that, but there's all different kinds of ways we're going to reach out. we got people. Let me, let me just tell you, the reason that we've had two young people give their lives to Jesus in the last couple of weeks is because we have a prayer team who has been praying for them. 
Every week, faithfully, we've got people coming together and lifting up the needs of this body. Got a prayer team. Those that you've seen lining up here this morning are people that have given of themselves. They've come and they're trained and they're, they're willing to pray with us, to believe God with us. We got a tech team. How many of y'all know these slides don't just get up on this screen here in front because somebody sneezed in the back? It takes a while. There's all kinds of stuff. You can come in here and connect to the internet because we got a tech team. I'm going to tell you something. Pastor's computer runs because we got a tech team. Amen. Facilities team. Man, our, our facilities team is already up and running. And pastor says, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We got folks that are coming in fixing things, repairing things, taking care of the flower beds. They're going to be doing all of the things that we need for the facilities that God has put in our hands. we got a missions team that is committed to not only bringing missions to the forefront of this congregation, but setting up ways that you and I can travel and go on short-term missions trips. And we're thankful for all of those teams. This is a team ministry. And with all of these teams that I've mentioned, it's our goal to give each one of those teams a vision. Yesterday, I met with our brand new fellowship team leaders. And our fellowship team leaders that have really just kind of taken a hold of this, I mean, they just, I just asked them, and yesterday they said yes, and Pastor said, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. They're already telling me ways that they want to have fellowship. And I'm like going, Yes, there is a God in heaven. And we're going to have fun. We're going to do fellowship and we're going to have a blast finding out about one another and love being able to love one another. I'm just going to tell you all, um, in every congregation, there's a weird uncle. Okay? And sometimes we want to stay away from those weird uncles. Now, this morning, if you're sitting here going, okay, I wonder who the weird uncle at Trinity is, and you can't figure it out, it's you. Okay? No, to be honest with you, we're all weird uncles. We really are. We all have those little weird things about us. Now, we think we're perfectly normal. But what I found out is as my kids have grown older, they've told me I'm not normal. But it's kind of like this. This amazing grace that God has given us, we extend it to one another, and this is what we get. We get everybody with their warts and their wrinkles and their weirdness, and we learn to love them anyway. Amen. So we are wanting to cast a vision to each one of these teams, and we're wanting to develop a relationship between these teams as well. So that they work well together. So you can make a phone call. The team is in action because they have relationship with one another. So you may be saying, well, pastor, uh, okay, I hear you. But why exactly are we doing all of this? Well, because I believe that's the way they did it in the book of Acts. I believe they had teams. And I can prove it biblically, okay? They, they had teams that did various ministries, okay? So we're going to do it. We're, we're going to build these teams, launch these teams, and that's the way we're going to do ministry here at Trinity. But I believe the purpose for us doing this is even greater than that. Answer this question for me. Why is it that Jesus came to earth? I mean, 
man, first one in my heart is he came to save us. He came to save me. Whew, I'm thankful for that. Came to save us. He came to heal us. He came to give us hope. And the list just goes on and on and on and on. But this morning, I think if you say those things, certainly it's true. But I believe there was even a greater purpose to Jesus coming to earth than even being our salvation. So if you would, go to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read a portion of Scripture there that I believe defines why it is that we're doing what we're doing. Jesus came to save us. He came to heal us. He came to give us hope. In everything that Jesus did, though, He served. He served. One of these days, Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back of King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible says that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's coming back as King, folks. I'm telling you, He ain't coming back as some emaciated uh, figure that you put on a cross that you see it hung on walls all over the place. He is coming back as the mighty King. The conquering King. Woo! Woo, baby, I can preach that. But whenever he came 2,000 years ago, he was born in a manger. He was born where they kept animals. He came as a servant. He came humbly as a servant. So this is verse number 20 in Matthew 20. It says, then the mother, and, and I need to read this because you got to kind of have the backstory on the scripture that we're actually going towards. Verse 20 in chapter 20, it says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came, uh, came to him, this is came to Jesus, came with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am, I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Pfft, they didn't even have a clue what they're talking about. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized in the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. In other words, they were really aggravated with what these guys were asking. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you. So here's Jesus. He's He's, he's quashing, if you would, this idea of one James or John sitting on either side of him whenever he comes into the kingdom. See, they just wanted a place of prominence. They wanted to be at the king's side. Are you all there with me? And Jesus says, hey guys, it's not going to be that way with you. All 12 disciples are standing there looking at him and he's saying, guys, listen to me. It ain't going to be like that with you. You ain't going to sit in a place of prominence. But whoever desires, is, he says, yet it shall not be that among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why we're going to be servants. That's why we serve. Because, folks, this is my goal. It's to be more like Jesus every day that I live. 
And there's no way that I could even come close to being like Jesus unless I am a servant. Now, I'm just going to tell you one of my pet peeves. Are you all ready for this? Just one minute. You've got to give me for this. I know a lot of pastors. And there's a lot of pastors out there that really think that their congregations need to serve them. I'm just telling you the truth. Just telling you the truth. And I tell you that gags me. Because we as pastors are not here to be served by you. We are here to serve you. Come on. I'm just, I'm just being honest. And so this morning, one of the things that I will tell you that, that myself and your associate pastor, Pastor Rick, one of the things that we strive towards, and we're not perfection in human, humanity here, but one of the things we, we will do is there is nothing in this church that I will not do. I want to serve you any way I possibly can. I've unstopped the toilets. I've vacuumed the rugs. I've, I've, I've done everything there is to do because I want to serve this congregation. Jesus came with that same mentality. Now, please, you all are looking at me like I'm patting myself on the back. No, I'm just telling you that needs to be the mentality of pastors. Okay, like I said, I'm not human. I, I'm not human. I'm an android. I, I am human. And there are times I know that things have kind of gotten backwards a few times. But my heartbeat is I am here to serve you. Jesus came that he might be a servant of all. And he's instructing his disciples. He said, guys, ain't going to be no seat of prominence for you. You're going to be servants while you're here. Amen. So serving for a pastor, serving for anybody that is in a congregation should be a way of life. It should be the way of life. It's just like whenever we taught on worship. Worship should just be a way of life. But i got to tell you something. The United States of America has raised up a couple of generations of very selfish people. It's all about me. And if you don't believe that, just watch all the advertisements on TV. You deserve, you need, you got to have this. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is contrary to the Word of God. It's contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God does... Let me tell you, those Bill of Rights that exist in the United States of America, they don't even apply to you because you don't have any rights. You go, Pastor, how could you ever say such a thing? I'm just telling you. You know, well, I have the right to sue somebody if they do me wrong. No, you don't. You guys are really looking at me hard right now. No, you don't. You know, we we think we have all those rights, but I'll tell you something. A servant, a slave has no rights. I'm just telling you. Most of the problems in churches today are because congregation rises up and they think they have rights. Well, I have the right to pick the color of carpet in the sanctuary. I want burnt orange, just like it was 40 years ago. <laughs> Those of you that are new don't understand that. This carpet used to be burnt orange. It was awful. I mean, churches split because of nonsense like that. Folks, we just need to be servants to one another. Servants. People that just give of our own lives. Everyone that is a disciple of Jesus Christ, needs to develop a lifestyle of servanthood. Sometimes I think the churches talk a real good game. 
They really do. You know, well, you know, we're a church and this is what this is what we believe and you know, Christ told us to do this. But many times I think that talk is real cheap. We 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 got to do more than talk about it cuz see right now these last few weeks we just been talking about it. Right now this morning I'm just talking about us becoming servants. We're we're going to we're going to have to live up to the talk. Amen. <laughs> I caught you off guard. I know I'm going to do that again. We're going to have to live up to that talk. Amen. Who? Thank you, Jesus. That, oh, my goodness. That scared me. I just my my heart actually skipped one or two beats. Whew, I got to get my breath blood flow back in my brain. We 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 just can't be a people who just talk about it. We've got to live it. Flip over, if you would, a few pages to John chapter 13, and I want to read you a, a portion of Scripture here that I really believe defines the heartbeat of Jesus. It shows us this amazing Jesus that we serve. So John chapter 13, and I just want to begin reading at the first verse. Now, you kind of got to get the picture here. This is the upper room. This is the last night that Jesus has with his disciples before he's betrayed and brought to the cross. And so this is a really important night. This is a really important night. Because how many of you all know that sometimes whenever folks are leaving, they say perhaps the most important things right before they leave. Amen? You know what? Okay. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is verse 1, chapter 13. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If you do not wa- if, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so am I. If then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus On this last night that he's going to be with his disciples, he gave us this picture of servanthood. He literally, and and you guys got to understand, 
what he did here was what the lowest servant in a household would do to anyone who who came and visited. The lowest of all the servants, because there was a hierarchy among servants, and whenever you were the lowest of all the servants, this was your job. You had to wash folks' feet whenever they came into your house because they wore sandals. And let me tell you something. They walked down streets that were unclean. I probably need to go a little further than that. How many of you all know they had no sewer systems back in the day? These streets were unclean. Are you all with me? No sewer systems, no way of disinfecting the streets. And so these folks would go out. There's animals all over. There's people all over. And whenever they came into your house, I tell you, their feet were dirty. And so one of the first things that they would do as a custom to help those that are travelers to to, uh, uh, be bathed, have their feet bathed, is they would assign that lowest servant to take a towel and take a basin of water and begin to wash your feet, to wash the ick and the oo off your feet. And I would tell you, just because these guys were disciples does not mean their feet were all clean. I've seen feet washing services before. You know, people take their socks off and their feet are they're clean. They may be a little smelly, but they're clean. This wasn't the way it happened. Jesus is bathing these folks' feet. He's wiping their feet with a towel that he had, he had brought around himself. And he's demonstrating something to them that is of utmost importance. He said, guys, what you've seen me do, you need to serve one another. You need to do it. Y'all understand what he... This guy is the king of kings. He's God. He is the creator of everything that was created. And he's now washing, taking the place of the lowest servant in the house He's washing their feet. That's why Peter threw a fit. I mean, y'all look at him and you go, ah, arrogant guy. Peter threw a fit because he knew who Jesus was. Just a few chapters before this, he said, you're you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, Simon Barjona, you got it. But my father's the one that revealed that to you. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Peter goes, man, you can't be washing my feet. But Jesus said, you don't let me wash your feet. You ain't got no part of me. And Peter goes, okay, feet, hands, head, just get bathed me, Lord. Just give me a shower right here. Jesus demonstrated it to us. And you guys, we, we got to catch this. He wasn't just serving his disciples with the purpose of getting their feet clean. You know, he wasn't sitting there and He looked around and he goes, good grief, John, your feet are nasty. James, oh, Lord, yours are worse than his. See, that that didn't even mix into the equation. He wasn't just washing their feet to get their feet clean. His purpose, you got to know who's sitting in front of him. This is the disciples. This is the men that are going to take this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and go to the four corners of the earth with it. This is the people that he's leaving in responsible to be the the people that are going to be the governing body of the church of Jesus Christ. He wasn't doing doing this feet washing thing just to get their feet clean. His purpose was develop future leaders of the church. 
I'll tell you something. This story about Jesus washing their feet was passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down. Whenever Peter preached that first message of the gospel and thousands were saved and man, the disciples were scampering around trying to get them all. I'll tell you, this is one of the stories right here that he taught. Whenever Peter taught it and John taught it, they taught that's man, the night before Jesus, uh, you know, went to the cross, you know, he took us and he washed our feet. He told us that we're supposed to be serving one another. Jesus, the son of the living God, washed our feet. He did it so that we would know we've got to be servants. You see, it was passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down. And here we are in March and I'm passing it down one more time. I'm saying to each and every person in this room that the reason Jesus did it is so that you and I could be the servants that he needs us to be. So we're going to become servants. We're going to get good at being servants. We're going to serve one another. We're going to, and the great thing about it is we're going to love each other so much that it's just not a big deal to serve folks. But this morning, I've got to be honest with you. Not all of you in this room probably know where it is that you're supposed to be serving. I named all of these teams a while ago, and you go, well, you know, I think I might want to be a fellowship team because I, I love to fellowship. I love to talk. Ooh, I can talk, 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 talk. Okay, well, maybe. But maybe you have a you have something inside of you that perhaps is even hidden to your own self. You don't even know that you might be good at something. But this is my thing. I think everybody is a 10 somewhere. Y'all understand what I mean by that? You know, you know, I'm not good at nothing. I'm not good at nothing, Pastor. I'm just not good at nothing. I just I mess up everything I touch. Nope. You are a 10 somewhere. Somewhere you're a 10. And the reason I believe that is is because God designed us all like that. I'm a mess up too. Let me just say something. I am terrible at brain surgery. I mean, seriously, the times I've tried it, I mess things up. I mean, those folks, a couple of them can't even talk anymore. I'm joking. Only one of them can't talk. So anyway, we, we all need to, we all need to find out who we are, how God has designed us. And more than that, once we find out how he's designed us, we got to figure out the purpose that he has for our lives. And so this morning, just think about this for a minute. I think that there is absolutely positively too much depression in the world today. I just keep running up against people that are depressed. And they might not be clinically depressed and they're on medications, but they're just depressed. You can talk to them and, man, just figure out right quick. They just have depression in them. So many people have anxiety. Now, I'm not knocking anybody that has this. I'm just saying that's the reality of the planet that you and I live on. And I'll tell you, even more so than anxiety and depression, there is so much unhappiness out there. I mean, just go to the grocery store. Just everybody you meet, just look at their faces. I mean, most of them are just like, you know, been like sucking on sour lemons all day long before they went to the grocery store. I just challenge you to go in the grocery store and just smile at everybody you see. Just whenever you see a man, make them make eye contact with you. You know, just, how you doing? How you doing today? I love to do that to people, man. It freaks them out. They go, who are you? I work here at Walmart. <laughs> Not really. I just act like I do. Unhappiness everywhere. And this is my conclusion. I think I can prove this scripturally. But this is my opinion. And again, I value my opinion highly. 
I'm convinced that so much of this comes from people not knowing what they are created for. Let me tell you something. Whenever you know what God's created you for and you start to do it, you're, you're going to get rid of anxiety. You're going to get rid of depression. You're going to get rid of unhappiness because all of a sudden you're doing what you've been created to do. And so that's this the part of this journey in, 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 uh, uh, in, in this church and the various teams that we're going towards is helping individuals find out why they're here, why it is that they exist. And then helping them to do what it is they've been created to do. And so in the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing a whole lot about a brand new spiritual growth campaign that we're all going to be launching on. We're going to do this as a whole church. It's called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And some of you probably in the past have read a book called The Purpose Driven Life by a guy named Rick Warren out of California. Well, Rick Warren years ago wrote this. It's become a worldwide bestseller. Uh, pastors of a church called Saddleback, and he's a great guy. But he's taken this book just recently, and he's rewritten it. And it's called, What on Earth Am I Here For Now? Instead of A Purpose Driven Life. What on Earth Am I Here For? It's a six-week spiritual campaign that begins the last Sunday in this month, the 29th of, 29th of, of March. And this campaign... One of the components of it is to raise up as many small groups as we can get in this church. Because on Sunday mornings, I'm going to be preaching, what on earth am I here for? That's what I'm going to be preaching on. But during the week, I hope that we have enough small groups that we can meet together in homes and businesses, cafes, wherever it is. We can even meet here at the church if necessary. But all during the course of this campaign. I want these small groups to meet and we begin to talk about what it is that's being preached, what it is that's being taught. The book that Rick Warren's wrote, there's 40 increments in that book that helps us to understand what on earth am I here for? I'm telling you folks, one of the reasons there's so much unhappiness, there's so much anxiety, there's so much depression is because people don't have any idea what they're here on earth to do. They don't know why God made them. So serving, this whole component of serving is directly related to our purpose. Does that make sense? We serve according to the way we've been gifted. We serve according to the way our abilities have been put in us. We serve according to the way our personality is. Amen? And all of those things, our giftedness and our personalities and, and, and our abilities, they all combined give us this very, very unique very specific, almost like a fingerprint of who we are. How many of y'all know this? There ain't nobody exactly like you on the face of this planet. Nobody. You're, you're unique. All these things that God's put in you, He's created you. He's, he's wired you this way. So this morning, the way God's wired us, you find out about how God's wired you. Because see, some of you are going to take these various ways that we're going to be discovering who we are and how we've been wired. Some of you all are probably going to say, I was born to be a mortician. <laughs> I'm going to go, hallelujah, you're good, go do it. You see, all of those things combined 
That's what gives us the qualification for the calling that He's put on our lives. See, early on in ministry, my heartbeat was kids. I was a children's pastor. That's what God had called me to do was children's ministry. And let me tell you something. He called somebody that was uniquely gifted for kids ministry because I love to have fun. (laughs) And kids can have fun. You guys are really sticking the muds, I'm telling you. I used to have fun in children's ministry, man. They they paid me to play with fire in children's ministry. I loved it, man. We set off alarms. We did all kinds of great things, and the kids loved it. But then God called me to be a senior pastor, and the verdict's still out about that one. But nevertheless, you and I are human beings that have been called to fulfill this, this part of God's grand plan. He has a plan for this community. He has a plan for your neighbors and your co-workers. He's got a plan for your family. And he's, he's called us to be a part of that fulfillment of that plan. And I'm just going to tell you something. No one else has been called to the specific calling you are called to. So if you don't do it, let me just say this. It ain't going to get done. Listen to me, church. If you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. See, it's not like whenever your kids fail to take the garbage out because they know dad will get it. Amen? Ain't going to be nobody coming along because it's specific to you. Absolutely specific to you. Everyone has gifts. Everyone has talents that they can use for God's glory and ultimately for their own fulfillment. Folks, I got to tell you, it feels good to be where God has put you doing what God has called you to do. So, Jared, if you'll come and help me close this this morning. God has given all of us spiritual gifts. He's given us talents. And He expects us to be using them for His glory. And so this journey that we're embarking on, this journey that we are moving forward on, is to help every one of us find those gifts, every one of us find those talents, and then begin to use them for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of God. That's it. That's really my one-point sermon. We're going to help you find those gifts. We're going to help you find them talents. And then we're going to begin to use them for the sake of the kingdom. 